What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Trailblazers reporter Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked on Blazers your first listen every day, free on all platforms, five days a week. So come join us every weekday. Make it a part of your daily routine to make it your first listen. Today's show is a crossover episode with Alex and Gavin of Locked on Knicks. We're talking all things Julius Randle and kind of the state of each team as we eye a potential swap of the Blazers' top 10 overall pick and the Knicks' former all-star forward. Check it out. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. And as promised, we are joined by the fantastic Mike Richmond of the Locked on Blazers podcast. And Mike, I want to just start as macro as possible with you. What, what is going on in Portland, man? We've we've talked about it in our pod like a little bit just around the rumors that the Blazers might be willing to trade the seventh pick. But it seems like a team kind of caught between two identities because you, you still have, I mean, arguably the greatest player in franchise history in Damian Lillard. Obviously, he wants to win in a real way. But then you have Anthony Simons. You have this team that essentially tanked down the stretch. You have that top 10 pick. What is the identity of this team and what are they striving for at this point? Uh, well, what are they striving for and what their identity is are two different things. What they're striving for is they want to be good. Like they want to be competitive. Dame's going to be like, he's under contract for three more seasons. I believe he is going to sign a max contract extension when he's eligible in July, which means he'll be under contract for five more years at, you know, another hundred another 200 million dollars coming his way paid through his 35th birthday like all the stuff like i think dame's going to be a long-term commitment here and if that's what they're going to do they want to be good with him and he has put some real pressure on them to like try to get good but they don't have very many good players like the roster is bad so that's hard those are two hard things to square because like you um you know you guys cover the knicks it's hard to be good when you don't have a lot of good players um Ouch. so <laughs> They're they're caught in this strange place where they want to be competitive and they're going to be aggressive to be competitive, but they are not. They're like several steps away, and one of those steps is whatever they do with the seventh pick in the draft. Yeah. So this is. I mean, I was going to ask what the general situation is with Dame because it seemed like that was teetering on the brink of collapse. Like this time last year. Yeah. Last, and, last, whatever July, he was like, I haven't made up my mind what my future will be. And that was yeah. kind of the first time we'd ever heard him say that, which everybody hears that loudly when someone like Dame says it. Yeah. Which it has probably kind of put the, the Blazers feet to the flames a little more. And then, you know, you've got, you make the move to, to offload CJ McCollum, which then gets you this, this top 10 pick that you have here. Um, if I'm not mistaken, correct? So this is the... this is their own pick. The pick oh, they got from CJ pick. is a 2025 first from the Bucks, which is like so outrageous. But... Yeah, that is that is far away. So yeah, I mean, it's just like there's there's a lot to sort of uh, parse through. I guess what do you think their motivations are with that seventh pick? Like, are are is your feeling right now that they're trying to use the pick to get better immediately with? I mean, honestly, a draft that we've been talking about a lot is pretty flat after about pick five and really has a lot of guys that look like they could step in and contribute at an NBA level. Or do you think that they're more going to try to dangle that pick to get, say, I don't know, a secondary star like a Julius Randle or something? Yeah, like a a tall guy who's lived in two major American cities and also New Orleans. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, they're going to trade the pick. All of the reporting suggests that they're going to trade the pick. Uh, Jason Quick of The Athletic, a great Trailblazers beat writer, uh, 
John Hollinger of the athletic uh, Mark Stein also thinks they're like everybody who's plugged in thinks the Blazers are trading this pick um, and they're going to, it just kind of depends on what they trade it for. Do they trade back and try to get a, a vet and a draft pick in the teens or do they swing for a bigger, brighter, rounder power forward that, uh, you know, is super left-handed. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like someone I know. I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll I'll ask you, you know, out of curiosity, what do you think? What do you think of Julius Randle? Quite frankly, I mean, just on a on a personal level, like I I think there's something maybe to be said, you know, as someone who has now watched him for a couple of years, I think maybe a humbling would be good for him in many ways, and he might actually reclaim some like some combo of the the really good things that he showed in New Orleans and the really good things that he showed with the Knicks, if he could just be thrust into an environment where he's obviously not the number one, uh, which would obviously be the case in, you know, Portland where like Dame is, he's the alpha and the Omega there. Like there's no way that Julius Randall can walk into that locker room and be like, I'm the man here. Like there's no, you're number two period. Like that's how it's going to go. You're going to run some pick and roll with Dame. You're going to, you know, hit some open threes or whatever. Hopefully you're going to dive to the rim more like you used to. You know, but also if you if we need you to get a bucket, you still have that ability that you really, you know, honed and perfected with the Knicks. Like, I don't know, I guess that's probably kind of like my elevator pitch, but I, I would assume that he is one of the names that is sort of floated a little bit, uh, you know, around the Blazers uh, as far as a star type player that might be available. So, like, what are your thoughts on him right now going into the the draft season here with that number seven pick equipped? Well, it's funny because uh, I was a little worried that when I was getting ready for this, that I'm kind of not a Julius Randle guy. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to go on this, the Knicks podcast. I'm going to go on Locked on Knicks and I'm going to be like, eh, not so. But then I remembered. You like, can't say anything worse than what we've said. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember that he's yeah. he's had a, he's had some beef this year with the fan base, with, um, you know, he's, he's given us the, the thumbs down to the great uh, he's given us different people in New York too. City. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I don't really, I'm not a big Julius Randle guy. Like I think he was really fun two years ago, like legitimately very fun, a revelation in that first year, but he also probably shot better than three than he's capable of. He just was like, uh, he was on a heater for eight months. Um, and, and some of that might be just like, he played with Derek Rose and he got a little more space and then he didn't have like a legitimate point guard with all due respect to Manuel quickly. Uh, and like he was worse, but I think he just needs the ball in his hands. He's such a high usage guy. He's a really good passer, but he wants to like, he wants the floor to bend to him before he makes those good passes. He's not like a natural ball mover. I think he's a weird fit with Dame because Dame hates playing off the ball. They tried it several seasons to get him someone that could let him get off the ball. He hates it. So it just seems like an awkward fit. Um, that said, Julius Randle will be the Blazers' second best player of the day. He's like, if he were to come here, he'd be the second best player. Like, they need talent desperately. As I joked at the beginning of the show, he would be a massive talent upgrade. What do you, what do you think Dame wants at this point? I think before we go into like more specifics on the trade sure. for the seventh pick, it's almost worth establishing that because I mean, to Alec, what Alex said, what, what you noted, Mike, like last summer, it seemed like he he just went into as much as I love Portland, as much as I love being the guy in Portland. 
I want to win a championship before my career is over. Or I want to get a credible opportunity at a championship. Right. Maybe you disagree with this. I always felt there was a ceiling on him and CJ as a duo. And, and maybe, maybe not with the right team. It's maybe there's a ceiling on a team with Dame as its best player. But even that aside, to your point, like Portland's supporting cast has probably never been worse than it currently is in right. like the vast majority of the Damian Lillard error. And he's presumably not getting better as a player at this point as he heads into his mid thirties. So how does this end in a way where all parties are happy? Is he content just getting paid a lot of money, scoring a ton of points and being the guy in Portland, or even if he signs a contract extension, do you think this inevitably hits a new breaking point? And he says, wait, all of a sudden, I actually do want to win trade me somewhere else. Now that I've, I've gotten my back. I think that the executive getting fired last fall is an indicator that Damian Lillard won. Whatever that means, he won. He didn't want to be here in July. When we got to December, the the lead decision maker got fired. Dame's still here and he's going to the draft lottery. To me, that signals that I like I don't know what won means. That's why I'm not like being specific. But to me, my read on it is that there was some beef and they chose Dame because why wouldn't you? Um I don't think it's that simple. Like, I, I think there was more going on with the executive stuff, but I, I think Dame still being here when the decision makers are gone suggests that he will be here into the future. Obviously, there's a place down the line two, three years from now where he's like, uh, well, I'm 35. This sucks. I want out. But I think for the next three seasons, you're you, there's some comfort here just because of the way last season played out, the way that he's been so vocal about, you know, it's like an, almost a meme that every time Dame does a national interview, he has to talk about loyalty. It drives me insane, but there's some truth to it. Uh, there's some truth to it that he is like pretty loyal. And one of the ways that you show your loyalty is give him a hundred million dollars. That will really help everyone feel um, very loyal. Connected. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think he, he wants a credible shot. Like I think that's a good way to explain it. He wants a credible shot. And so now you get to this stage and we can talk about the specifics where a credible shot probably looks like adding veteran help around him. They haven't had a good forward core. They've had a really bad forward core. They have a really similar thing going with Damon Anthony Simons that they had with Damon CJ McCollum. In fact, some would say the same thing going. So what they need to do is they need to get better forwards. And so that's why when they have the seventh pick and there is a certain forward available, it's, it is a, it is a realistic opportunity. And just because I don't like it doesn't mean that, Damian Lillard, who has certainly has a big influence on the roster and, and the, you know, Joe Crone and the Portland front office don't aren't considering the real possibility of making a deal with the Knicks. I, here's here's something interesting, because you, you mentioned Simons and the fact that they have a pretty similar, if not almost exactly the same thing going with him that they had with McCollum, which is probably why they felt inclined to say, you know what, let's get what we can for CJ McCollum right, right. now when he's probably at his highest value that he'll ever be as he hits, you know, the decline of his career in all likelihood. It, Simons is probably going to get paid a decent amount of money yes. uh, this coming off season. And, you know, looking at, I was actually really surprised when I just looked at the, at the cap sheet for the Blazers, because like they actually have a pretty decent amount of cap space this coming off. They season. could, they're probably unlikely to be a cap team, but they mm -hmm. could have cap space because to, to have cap space, they got to renounce Nurk and Joe Ingles and a couple of their other free agents. And then they would lose their, they have a big traded player exception. They got from CJ McCollum, which is in part how they would get Julius Randall on the cheap 
Uh, and so if they, but if they become a cap space team, it gets harder to make all of the, to, to, to have all the tools they need to get better. So they have some flexibility, but I don't think they're, it's very unlikely that they end up as like a big cap space team. Although they could clear 35 million bucks relatively easily. Yeah. That's, that's the impression I'm getting looking at their cap sheet is like, you know, you'd have to make some pieces go around. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get towards is there's, there's two major free agents on the team this, this coming off season. There's Simons and there's Nurkic. I was actually going to start with Simons, but we'll save him for a minute. Like, I'm really curious about Nurkic because he's, I think, one of the guys that seemed more so than Dame to be pretty unhappy with the situation, at least based off some of the reporting that I've read. Like, he seems like he's basically fed up at this point. So, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He's been, I, I think, pretty underpaid for a while now, right? Like he was making, he signed like a four for 48. Uh, yeah. He came off, he hit free agency off kind of a down year and he signed four for 48. He has probably outperformed that. He's probably availability is a big thing with Nurk. Obviously mm-hmm. in 2019, he got hurt and then missed an entire year. So you could say like the freebie, the freebie 12 million bucks he got for not playing for an entire year kind of makes the whole thing not worth it, but not worth it. But he was, he's probably, he probably this season outperformed his contract. I think that's fair. Yeah. So, you know, where does that stand? Like, do you think that he's gone? Like how much does that, how much harder does that make life for the Blazers if he walks and you don't get anything for him? Because you're just talking about a talent efficiency. Like he's been one of the most consistently good player when healthy, you know, big caveat, but I mean, when he's been healthy, he's been a great performer for them. I think every time I've watched him, I've always come away impressed. And, you know, I, I feel like if they lose him, that's, a huge step backwards. Like, what do you, do you think that there's also a world maybe where, you know, I mean, this is another, a whole different thing, but like the, the Knicks have a, a free agent, big man of their own, you know, do you think that, that Portland might be in the market for a big man this coming off season as well? If Nurk walks, which seems to sort of be where things are leaning, at least to me from my outside perspective. So the only reason that I think Nurk is is like the, that the cards are pointing the other direction for Nurk is that he agreed to not play the final 25 games of the year. Like they shut him down. And if he was really entering free agency, um, you know, he had he had plantar fasciitis that he had reportedly been dealing with since September. But it came up when like they shut everyone down for the after the All-Star break. Like and I have I hate the S word, but people have told me that Nurk was fine. Um, so. I don't want to question people's body, but I, I have I have heard pretty, pretty, pretty clearly that Nurk was fine. He could have played, uh, and and it's hard to convince a guy like Nurk, who durability has been a big thing, to sit out the final twenty four games of the regular season, entering free agency. If you don't have some kind of wink, wink deal going on, I mean, teams don't tamper. That's never happened. They would never uh, agree to terms beforehand. Like you guys know, that's just like it's not how the league works. But I think. I, I have a hard time believing that there isn't an understanding that they're going to pay Nurk and Nurk's happy to get paid just because of the way his season ended. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. I love playing Prize Picks. I use the app, but you can also visit their website at prizepicks.com. But when I'm using the app, it's, it's a ton of fun. It's easy to win some money. You can make an entry. You just pick between two and five players. You pick your over-under based on the projections set by Price Picks. So we're talking points, rebounds, assists. You pick over or under the line set by Price Picks. And if you get it right, you can win some money. You can win up to 10 times on every entry, but you don't have to get them all right to win money. You can get three out of five and win some money or four out of five and win some money. Whatever it might be, you can find a way to have fun. And right now, 
my listeners get 50 bucks off their 50 free dollars to deposit in their account when the, a player on their first entry scores a single point. So add Steph Curry to your first entry, enter that promo code NBA, and when Steph Curry scores one point, you'll get $50 in your account. Use that promo code NBA when you're signing up on prizepicks.com or when you're downloading the app. It's PrizePix Daily Fantasy Made Easy. All right, I'm going to drop you back into my conversation with Alex and Gavin talking all things Knicks and Julius Randle. All right, um, moving on then to Anthony Simons. Uh, There is a fixation um, with the New York Knicks rightfully on Jalen Brunson as the dude that they have to get at point guard this offseason. And the the pivotal difference, obviously, between um, him and Simons is that he is unrestricted. Simons is restricted. So the only way I can phrase this is Simons, who was just, at least offensively, I can't speak to his defense, was at least spectacular down the stretch of the season. If I'm yep. remembering correctly, like just flat out one of the best three-point shooters in basketball. I mean, especially off the dribble down the stretch yep. of the season and uh, very young because he came into the NBA at like 19, uh, again, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, is there a number that would be too high? for Portland to bring back Anthony Simons or is there no world where they're letting that kind of talent go? Because to your point, I mean, like whatever, however problematic the Dame CJ dynamic is, it, it's better than Dame and uh, I, I don't fill in like random bench. Josh, like, Josh, uh, LRB, Hart, yeah. LRB. Yeah. Whatever, whoever you want to say in there. Um, so is, is it a sure thing? I guess that Anthony Simons is back on the Blazers, no matter what ridiculous offer another team throws his way. I think there's probably a number. Like I think his max number is 119. So it would be four for 119 from another team. That's probably too high for them. But like, are the Pistons going to offer Ant over DeAndre Ayton? Like, are we kidding? Like, if you're choosing which guy to give the max to, is Amphrey Simons going to get that over DeAndre Ayton? Or even like Miles Bridges, another restricted free agent on the market. Like, I think those dudes are just straight up, have just so much more production that like, if a team is going to throw max cap space at someone, it's going to be those two gentlemen. I think Ant comes back. I think like four for 90 is pretty much in his range. I think four for 100, if his agent really squeezes the Blazers, is definitely in the range. Uh, but I think they're going to pay him because you, if you trade CJ and you do all these things, and then you lose and then you cheap out on ants um then dame leaves like then he leaves um so i i think part of the plan was clear the books resign ant probably resign nurk unless you find a, a sign and trade and then build with your parts your other tools when you as an over the cap team and those other tools are this draft pick they can trade and a big traded player exception to absorb a big contract and and some and some flexibility down the line to like have a Julius Randle on the roster making $25 million a year and say like, we don't have other bad money on the book so we can afford it. Okay. Well you brought the, you brought it back to Julius Randle. I'm just going to ask the question point blank period that I'm sure that everybody listening to our show right now wants to know the answer to. Uh, and, and you know, you could say this purely from, from your perspective, you can throw in like, uh, you know, if, if the S words have said anything, uh, to you or if you have any general idea but let's just say a deal is offered it is more or less Julius Randle for the seventh pick and let's say that the Knicks also say we'll take Eric Bledsoe and the it, he, I could see he's got a partially guaranteed deal I don't know how much of that is guaranteed or whatever but like they say like we'll take him and take on the onus of waiving him and eating whatever money he's owed uh, is that a deal that the Blazers seriously look at or do they kind of like laugh and hang up the phone and say, nah, come back when you, you're willing to include at least like 
a young player or something or like your 11th pick or whatever? Like what's your, what's your general read on a deal like that? My read is that they will, would absolutely consider it because they want veteran help and, and, and Julius Randle, like I said, would be the second best player on their basketball team. Um, Blazer fans are going to hear that and like really mad that I disrespected Nurk and Ant. And I'm sorry, y'all, but it's, I don't even like Julius Randle. And I think that's true. Uh, <laughs> but um, like, I think they would consider it. I think they would consider it because I think they're going to, I think they're going to move that pick for some flavor of veteran help, uh, whatever that might be. The big name that they've been linked to is Jeremy Grant. Do I think J- trading the seventh pick for Jeremy Grant or Julius Randle is a good idea? I, hell no, I do not. But I, I am not. Uh, someone about to celebrate my 32nd birthday in July with a real obsession with winning a championship and a great deal of power in the Blazers organization. That's another dude. Uh, I'm just a podcast host who's like, you know, I don't read, reads the cap sheet. Uh, I think, well, let me, let me turn this back on you. Let me ask you, would the Knicks, would the Knicks, are the Knicks so willing in your view to get out from under Julius Randle and kind of start the next era that they would say 11 and Julius Randle for seven and like the 36 pick in the draft and we'll see what happens. Like, is that a realistic pitch back to the Knicks as a counteroffer? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a, I, Alex, let me know if you concur on this. It would be a situation of, of who's available at seven. And I think that would be a draft night type decision. Like, is is a shade and sharp someone that the Knicks just see with all their Kentucky connections and say we're, we're pretty sure this guy is going to be a star we know he's not going to make it to 11 let's take that swing because I think there is a general willingness to move off of Julius Randle we had Mark Berman of the New York Post on last week and he was talking about how Obi Toppin really opened some eyes with his play down the stretch last season and that created this notion within the organization that hey we might have a really good power forward here uh, for whatever Julius brought a season ago there is a lot of uh, problematic off the court stuff there's a whole lot of problematic on the court stuff last season. Uh, we can maybe get rid of this headache and and actually turn him into a positive asset. You mentioned John Hollinger earlier. He put out the notion a little while ago that that Julius was was flat out uh, no qualifiers, a negative asset at this point. That, that that there's been other people who have said similar things. Alex and I have kind of pushed against that, and we're both of the mind like it only takes one team, and and, and there are still teams who see him as the guy who made second team All NBA a year ago. And just don't really have another pathway to acquiring anyone who's been in that conversation in recent memory. So I do think he's an asset. I do think he's one the Knicks are willing to move off of. The question of whether they'd include 11 versus like a future Dallas pick or some lesser asset. I, I think the dream for the Knicks would be that they could somehow end up with 7 and 11, maybe package those to move up even further in the draft. Because I don't know if they want to take two rookies. But Alex, I'll throw that your way because I don't even think that's a scenario we've discussed where they'd potentially end up with the seventh and the 11th pick just because the the idea of just trading Julius Randle straight up for a top 10 pick is is kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah. I think, um, I think I'm mostly with you. I I think that if, and and I mean, this is completely, you know, no sourcing, no Intel of any sort, but like my general thought would be that they would probably try to go like Julius Dallas pick for number seven, especially if, you know, if, if, they could also say to Portland, like, yo, we'll take, like I said, like, you know, oh, we'll take back Eric Bledsoe and just save you guys right. the money, you know, whatever, like do a little favor for you here or there. Maybe even just say, hold on to that, that 36 pick as well. And we'll give you this Dallas pick. Cause it's going to be like 20 something it's pick, um, right. you know, so you can have that. That's cool. Uh, I think that would be their ideal. I don't think they would hang up the phone depending on like Gavin said, who's there at number seven. Like, I think there's a world where maybe they fall in love with, even if it's not Shaden Sharp, who I think will probably go in the top five. Um, maybe it's, you know, maybe a Jaden Ivey falls and maybe they're super in love with him, 
which they should be because he's like perfect for the team. Uh, or maybe it's like Keegan Murray, like maybe Keegan Murray falls and then they're like, look, this is a, a seamless fit. This dude will come right in and be able to do, you know, at least some of the stuff that Julius was doing and, and be much younger and, you know, more malleable, less likely to sort of hijack things. And we can also elevate Obi over him and have him back up Obi instead of vice versa. Uh, and, you know, let Obi kind of take over as the new starting power forward. Um, I think, I think they would prefer like Gavin said, to, to hold on to both those picks and then maybe even try to package those one more time and move up and see if they can maybe get like Detroit to sway or something and, and, you know, let them get like a shade and sharp. Cause I get the feeling they would really love to go for him. Uh, but I don't think you're getting a Jaden Ivy or shade and sharp without getting inside the top five. Cause that seems to be like the more or less consensus top five right now. They might also just love staying at pick seven. Like I have a favorite, in the draft, uh, Dyson Daniels, who's I'm seeing a lot of stories about how he's generating top 10 buzz now. Uh, as Gavin mentioned, we talked to Mark Berman last week and, you know, he said that the Knicks, you know, talked to him and the Dyson was speaking pretty highly of how the Knicks representatives were talking to him about their potential interest levels. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, right? Like I'm, I'm kind of blown away by the fact that you weren't like, ha ha ha, screw you. <laughs> like hang up the phone. Well, to that I wouldn't do it. Like I, I yeah. hate it. I'm yes. saying the blazers, but might. the blazers even, you know, like even just trying to project what the blazers would do. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I think the Knicks would be, they would really be trying to get something else back in that deal. Yeah. Maybe it's they even just saying like, okay, like we'll do 11 and Julius. If we get seven, what was it? Pick 36. Yeah, 36. 36. 736 and Keon Johnson, maybe. Like, just right. give us another ball of clay. Give us another something to play with here, you sure. know? Like, the guy who's two years away from being two years away. We'll take him and we'll see what we can do. Um, you know, maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But I do think there's a world where they would entertain it. I also think that there's a world where potentially the Knicks front office is still looking at him like, no, I think we can still milk more value out of him. And just like the situation with Dame, the situation with Julius is kind of confusing, too, because like we were thinking, Oh, it seems like Julius is on the outs. He like pouted after the Knicks young players had a big comeback in one game against the bulls, which was really bizarre and like stormed off the court, even though his team just won a big comeback game. And, you know, we thought like, Oh, this must be it. And then he was sitting courtside with, you know, worldwide West and uh, whoever else showed up to the, the Dallas and Utah game. And it was like, Oh, all right. Is he like recruiting with them right now? Like what the hell is going on here? So I don't know. It's a tough situation to read. So I, I don't know if the Knicks still view his value one way or the other. Uh, but again, if it was me, I would jump all over that deal. Even if it was just a swap and you just get like another second round pick or something, because then they could use their second round pick of that blazer second round pick and potentially trade back into the first round, maybe to their magical spot of 25 at which they turn into just great rotation players every yeah, single but they year. They always now. find a rotation player yeah. at that spot. They, yeah. They're great at the 25th pick. So I would definitely, like that deal that you said, I would definitely consider it very strongly. Today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com, the family business specializing in helping do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. You can save time and you can save money by using rockauto.com. That's 30, 50, or even 100% savings compared to when you go to a chain auto parts store or when you go to the dealership. There are so many makes and models on the road, it's impossible for those other uh, retailers to offer all of the parts for your car, but not rockauto.com because they've been doing it for two decades and they specialize in helping 
folks. They got everything you need and their website's super easy to use. So why don't you go over to the website right now, rockauto.com, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection with live below prices. All the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You are still listening to Locked on Blazers. Let's finish up this conversation with the good folks at Locked on Knicks as we put a bow on our Julius Randle to the Blazers thoughts and maybe share a little positivity of how Randle can truly help if he gets back to the height of his powers. So I guess uh, for if I, if I can hijack this again, Please. what what has in your eyes from second team all NBA Julius Randle, like what what other than he shot 20% worse from three, what really changed from the guy who was one of the you know 25 best players in the league to whatever he was this year? It was right yeah. here. <laughs> Alex. I'll, I'll leave that to Alex to talk about. I'll, I'll say purely from an on-court sense, I think, the context shifted a little bit in that um, Kemba Walker was added to the team. Evan Fournier was added to the team. RJ Barrett was ready to take a step forward. And I think Julius thrives when there's zero ambiguity to his role. And it's just very direct. And it's like, hey, man, it's your show. Go to work. And where he was sort of magical, I mean, it, it was number one, it was the shot making, right? Like three point shooting way beyond anything he'd done his career. Even more than that, it just seemed like he was automatic on these super tough turnaround fadeaways. Like he, he looked like honestly, like his, his, his initial mentor when he came into the NBA, Kobe Bryant at times working in the mid post, working from the elbows. And it was that combined with like a little bit of the power game that defined the early parts of his career. But even that wasn't all that present last year. And the shot fell off and even more than or along with the shot falling off last year, it felt like he just knew where everyone was on the court at all times. And he could dictate the action by playing bully ball, drawing a double team, and then throwing like a no look hook pass across the court on the dime to Reggie Bullock on the opposite wing. Because that's what Reggie Bullock did, right? He sat on the wing, but then he was playing with all these guys this year that wanted their own offense, wanted their own roles. And it wasn't quite as clean. His role wasn't quite as defined. And it was almost like he like, he, he is kind of a robotic basketball player to some extent. And it's almost like he malfunctioned and, and didn't know where those pre-assigned reads were anymore. And a lot of his passing went away. And then his effort, and Alex, I'll, I'll throw this to you to, to rant about or, or maybe just be very brief about because we spent enough time on it. His effort just fell off a cliff. And there were just so many times like you would just see him screaming at a ref instead of running back on defense or, or just look disinterested when other guys were going off. And he just, he frankly, wasn't, wasn't a very good team player this season. I think you can boil it all down at least to ha- to the between the ears stuff, which I think is definitely the biggest the biggest thing. Because look, it, you know, for most players, if the new foul rules at the beginning of the year were affecting your play, or if having crowds back was affecting how you were shooting, or you know, whatever, you adjust and you and you you make those things better, you know. And, and that's how you know that's how the the great players sort of like we saw, for example, a, a much hated player. To us, Trey Young, you know, like he started off the year really struggling thanks to the new officiating and stuff. And then he figured it out and he finished the year really good and looked really good still. Um, Julius never really did that. I think you could boil it down to like one thing that he said, and it was in the very first game of the season. He's coming off a all NBA second team, uh, you know, performance and, you know, leading the Knicks back to the playoffs the year prior. Every person in New York loved him to death. And was super excited for this coming season. 
And in the first game of the season, he's making buckets down the stretch of a two OT game against the Celtics. And the first thing that he thinks of to do is like start screaming at the crowd and to nobody in particular, I want my respect. And it's just like, that sort of felt like what this whole year was like. He thought I've made a leap to, uh, you know, the, the upper echelon, the top 10 to 15 players in the NBA, thanks to being a second team all NBA guy last year. So why am I not being treated like one, uh, whether it's on my own team or, you know, by the officials or what have you, like he just, the whole year seemed like he just had this chip on his shoulder that essentially boiled down to, I was so good last year. So therefore I've earned this and like, I've essentially paid my dues and that just led to him. Not like he, as Gavin said, was mailing it in on defense a lot. You know, I mean, there was like at least three, four instances of every game where you could see him not making a read, not making a rotation that was literally all he would have had to do is just, stay somewhat alert and he could have made it, but he kind of just decided not to play on that end for stretches of this year. Um, You know, he off the court, you know, there was uh, the, you know, telling fans like, uh, you know, say, Oh, what did the thumbs down mean to the fans? Oh, it meant F you to the fans. It's like, that's very candid and very, you know, what, just because they were booing you because the team was doing terrible. And then you guys turned it around. Then they cheered for you. Go figure. Like that's how these things <laughs> that's work. A, that's like, New York, man. Exactly. That's every team. That's every team. My God. Like the, the, any, any team's fans will boo their team if they come out and they're dogging it. You know, it's like, that's not exclusive to New York. And, you know, I don't know. I just think, I think it all boiled down to he, things just sort of went downhill and then mentally, you know, I don't want to speak to like try to be an amateur sports psychologist. I said this all year, but like something was clearly off. I don't want to speculate as to what it was, but like something was off with him this year. And, and it had to do a lot with his relationship with the fans, I think. Um, and just adjusting to having fans back in the building, I guess. And like having to be held accountable on an off shooting night or something. It also doesn't really help that Obi is like the most loved player on the team. And so if Randall was dogging it a little bit, fans would immediately start chanting, OB, OB, you know, like trying to get OB on the floor. Um, I I get the feeling that probably didn't rub him the right way as well. It was just a lot of different factors. But I do think, again, I think a lot of it came down to he thought I should be the man on this team. And then especially like down the stretch too, once RJ Barrett kind of started getting slotted into that role more than him, I think that rubbed him the wrong way. I, that's why I do think, though, that there is a chance that maybe something could work on a team like the Blazers with a defined number one, because I think there's no way that he could walk into that situation and say, no, you're wrong. Damian Lillard should not be the number one. I should be the number one. And maybe then you can talk him back into like, Julius, you're a big guy. Like, why don't you go back to doing what you did in New Orleans and being like a 92nd percentile role man in the pick and roll right. and, you know, working off of somebody. So there's just there's a lot to it. Um, it, it's, there's, I can't think, and you know, I've been following the Knicks for probably 20 out of 20, 22, whatever, out of my 32 years of existence. Like, I, I can't think of another scenario where there was ever such a, like, reach the highest highs and then plunge to the lowest lows situation in like in, three and a half months. Yeah. In, in Knicks history. So it was a really bizarre situation. It was bizarre for us to cover it. And we still don't really know the answers, I feel like. But he still said he's committed to the team. Leon Rose has still said they're committed to him. 
but I, I kind of feel like that's just talk at this point. I feel like they are going to potentially look to move on, but I, I don't necessarily know that he's like broken per se. I think things just kind of have officially broken down with the Knicks more so than anything. Uh, is second year Tibbs a thing? Um, it was like, something... is that it? Is that it? Like, is this, is this just like the poison of a second year of Tom Thibodeau? No. Is there anything there? No, Tibbs, if anything, empowered him too much. Like that was the biggest thing. Tibbs needed to needed to step in and get on his case more. And instead it was kind of like there was a certain, certain code of conduct that existed for everybody else. And then a certain code of conduct that existed for Julius Randall and Randall was not held to having to play good defense and do all the things that all the young players had to do to hold their playing time. Like Obi Toppin who struggled to right. get like 15 minutes a game. Uh, he was allowed to basically just go do whatever the heck he wanted on the court. And he would have guaranteed 35 minutes waiting for him. So I actually, I guess you could say that that's like the Tibbs effect in, in some ways, but but it's not the way that we would typically describe it. That he's like worn a guy yeah. out. It's the no, reverse. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they ground each other's gears too much. It's almost like Tibbs liked him too much and empowered him too much and and created strife that way. You sure. know, it, it, where it was just like Tibbs was was too lenient on him. I don't know, Gavin. Did you have any sort of a different read on that situation? No, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think it was it was ultimately very counterproductive because I as much as the Knicks team is just filled with seemingly very good dudes and, and very good teammates and guys who I think by and large like loved Julius a year ago and, and especially the younger guys on the team probably saw him as like a mentor and a leader. Um I, I can't imagine I think that had to create some resentment. And when you saw things get really bad by the end of the year, like that aforementioned Bulls game, I would think just connecting the dots here part of that was that a lot of resentment had built up to him and the fact that Julius could spend like an hour screaming at a ref and like not getting back on defense but Obi Toppin like missed one three-pointer in the wrong way and he was immediately pulled out of the game like I, I can't imagine if, if you're Obi like at some point like there was probably resentment going both ways there which is weird to say because Obi Toppin seems like the happiest go luckiest like nicest dude in the world but I think some of that was going on I will say if you want to if you want to just say something positive about Julius Randle, just in case any important decision. Yeah, let's makers, close with something nice. Yeah, and in case any of the in case of the any important decision makers in Portland are listening, which I doubt, but you never know. Oh, I've had um, some low did... level decision makers listen every once in a while, so let's oh. let's see if what... there, there <laughs> hey, you go. If any right, of well, y'all, let me, let me, let me all made them. it to thirty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's that's where the good stuff comes in. Um, yeah, he had he had this seven game stretch. Uh, I think it was. Alex, it was right before the All-Star break, right now, mm -hmm. right after, yeah. Where he it was right before the trade deadline where he, like, right. saved his job, essentially. There you go. Where he averaged something like about 30 points, like 10, 11 rebounds, 7, 8, 9 assists per game, and every night was just killing it. And, and the key to that was he was bringing the ball up the court a lot, and out of nowhere, he went from paying, playing at, like, the most stagnant pace in the world and, and looking like – like a turtle, like mid stroke to really like speeding it up and, and being hyper aggressive and, and throwing his body around. It was like someone like just took him aside and shook him and said, Hey, you're like six, seven, two sixty with inhuman coordination at that size. Take advantage of it. You don't have to shoot pull up twos or pull up threes every time around. And he started just bulldozing people in turn. He got a little bit of confidence. The jumper came back to some extent. And he's still, he's what, he's 27 years old. Like there's still, there's so much ability in there. There's a great basketball player in there. When he rolled to the basket this year, even on a Knicks offense that didn't have a lot of other threats, 
Like he would just create these great openings and he could really swing the ball around on the short roll because he is like, even when he doesn't have his pre-assigned breeds, he's still a talented passer, but he yep. just has to get the ball on the run. He has to play with pace. And the thing about Damian Lillard and, and to your point, this would take maybe some sacrifices from Lillard and some really big sacrifices from Randall. Those two running a pick and roll with a guy like Dame, who, I mean, after Steph Curry and along with Trey Young, like more than anyone else in the league, you have to guard 35 to basically 40 feet from the basket. Julius rolling into huge amounts of space with his size and speed and passing ability is scary. Like if he buys into that role, that that's one of the more dynamic offensive duos in basketball. And I don't think, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say there's a reason this dude was second team all NBA. He's immensely talented. And even in that second team all NBA year, I don't think he was taking advantage of the full extent of his abilities because he stopped going to the rim quite as much as he did in previous seasons. You combine all the best parts of his game. There's a tantalizing player in there. And I think Dame is about as equipped as any point guard in the league to unlock the best out of him. If you want to make a case for why Portland should do that and why he might end up being worth more than the seventh pick. Can he be a good defensive player? I know that the, oh, when absolutely. they were good, mm-hmm. they it was a lot of it was that they had good center play, and they kind of lost that last year. Um, d- can he be a good defender? Yes, absolutely. He was a great defender in 2021. I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't even just say a good defender. Like he, he was great. He was he he was the star of the show on defense on some nights uh, with his one on one defense and stuff like that. Like he would get a switch on to like Luca or something like that, and totally own that matchup and and play great uh so i think he could definitely i mean he's great at keeping guys in front of him his team defense especially if his if his lock-in level isn't as high as it should be um leaves a lot to be desired sometimes but especially like on switches and stuff nobody can really punish him on a switch like he can he can stand up a center he can you know rotate with a guard he can he could do whatever like he's his hips are very flexible he's he's built like a you know, brick S house. Yeah, he's huge. He's a big dude. Different you know? S that time from the aforementioned. S. Yeah. Different S. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's, he could definitely, he can and has been a, a, not just a good, but like a great defender at times. And now that, that was actually one of the biggest standout things of his 2021 as well was seeing just how good of a defender he was that year. Oh yeah. Well. They were a great defensive team. I just, mm-hmm. uh, I, I felt like last year, they were really they're really missing how good Nerlens was that year and 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 definitely just a lot of Mitch Rob not being healthy uh, yeah. and uh that was a big part of it but you know surprisingly the Knicks were still like a top 10 defense this past right they're an above average defensive team yeah. because well, yeah because they just had a good scheme and they executed it pretty well even despite some of the guy like Kemba Walker being a total turnstile and Julius many nights not really caring RJ Barrett's defense falling off a bit after he took on more of an offensive role. Um, so, yeah, it, it you know, it, he's been a part of a really good defense. And it wasn't, you know, don't don't let anybody tell you that it's all the center play because they've had they've had some good perimeter defense. And, you know, you don't get a top, like, five defense with just good center play. You know, like, everybody Yeah, I was mostly talking that, scheme so. stuff. Like, the scheme yeah. is like, hey, we're going to funnel you to the rim and there's going to be this octopus arm yeah. dude at the rim. But, the, but, but, but it's not all that. You know what yeah. I mean? That it, there was there was a lot of good individual defensive performances by what's the what's the uh, Nerlens Noel thing? Is that he doesn't have real human hands? He has some other hands. I know this is like a Nick fan thing. Yeah, yeah, that was actually that was. Uh, uh, I, I think everybody came up with their own variation. One person on my website came up with like a a little like video where it was various things that Nerlens Noel has instead of hands. But I think the most <laughs> popular one was ping pong paddles. There you um, go. <laughs> 
ping pong paddles for hands or balloons for hands. Balloons, like I think, is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Blown up surgical gloves uh, for hands. <laughs> he, his, his very S hands, I would say. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, I think I think we've. Wow. We, yeah. We so I think if you made it this, in. if you're a Blazer fan, you made it this far on the podcast. It really got good for Julius Randle at the end. Pretty good pitch. <laughs> think about seven and eleven for Julius Randle, or maybe seven in the Dallas pick for Julius Randle. Think about it because he would be the second best player on the team. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely could be, especially behind a, an alpha like Dame Lillard. But, Mike, thanks so much for popping on, man. We really appreciate you coming on and giving us this Blazers perspective because, like I said, I think a lot of Knicks fans are, are really eyeing up that that seventh pick saying, like, man, wouldn't that be nice to get back into the top top ten where a lot of fans wish the team could have been anyway had they chosen right. to just tank like a normal team and mm-hmm. rested all their players, but not under Tibbs. Never. Yeah, I mean, no, I none of our guys team. had plantar fasciitis, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I watched a team aggressively tank. It wasn't particularly fun. It, oh, it's, it's not maybe fun. Maybe was the right strategic move, but it was yeah. uh, it was a brutal final twenty five games in Portland. We've we've watched a whole eighty two game season like that. Yeah, it's, I, it's I not hear fun. you. Uh, well, but anyway, thanks for having me. It was real. It was a ton of fun. I was about to say, do you want to let everybody know where to find you, uh, you know, online and all that good stuff, where to find you? Uh, don't follow you me on Twitter. It's a terrible place, but listen to the podcast <laughs> at Locked On Blazers is, is with a handle and just search Locked On Blazers. You'll find us wherever you're looking for us. You know, five days a week, free on all platforms. Never, never a dime will charge you. It's free. Just search Locked On Blazers. Tell your friends to do the same. And uh, it's the only Daily Trailblazers podcast. So get your fix in. Wow, what a world. There's so many Daily Knicks podcasts. But anyways, th- thank you so much, Mike. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll be sure to have you back on uh, if and when this trade does happen. If those low-level decision makers uh, buy what I'm selling, uh, yeah, they'll, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you then. But until then, be good. And, and everyone listening, be good. We will talk to you all soon on Locked on Knicks.